Welcome to another round of Drawing Board or Miro Board. Today we discuss technical diagramming with systems architect Maya. Let's go. First question. You've spent 10 hours slogging over a sequence diagram that should have taken five. Drawing Board or Miro Board? Drawing Board. And if I'm being honest, Miro would probably cut that time down by half. You know, with its AI tools and ready-to-go templates. Next, your diagrams become so bulky, it's more complex than the solar system. But all it takes is a few clicks and... It's Miro. I've used those technical shape packs way too many times. And stuff is just digestible on its infinite online canvas. Now, the final question. Everyone's brought in. But you have to make all these tasks all the way over in Jira. But wait, it's done. Is it... Miro. Easy with its two-way Jira sync. Easy to plot dependencies. Everyone always knows what's up. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people creating technical diagrams without workflow glitches. Get your first three boards for free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. How you doing, everyone? I'm Russ Salzberg, and I want you all to listen up and get a load of this. We've got a good one today. The Many Lives of Nick Bonacani is a new documentary from HBO chronicling the life of this great NFL Hall of Famer. Having already seen it, I can tell you emphatically, folks, it is must-see TV. But when you watch it, make sure you bring plenty of Kleenex. And joining me here to talk about the many lives of Nick Buonacani is Nick's son, Nick Buonacani Jr. So like I said, listen up, because trust me, you're really going to want to get a load of this. Alright folks, before we introduce my guests, let me say this, and I am not exaggerating one bit when I say the many lives of Nick Bonacani is a must-see TV project. As, as I was sitting there watching it at its premiere a couple of weeks ago, I, I'm saying to myself, like, wow, I gotta do something on this. It's compelling, it's moving, it's heartbreaking, but also at the same time, I found it inspiring because despite suffering from dementia right now and pretty bad at badly at that nick bonacani hasn't quit and neither has his family so having said that now let me introduce a fine member of that family nick bonacani jr nick thanks so much for being here i really do appreciate it oh no problem thanks for having me all right well listen let's there's so much to talk about but but nick let's start by fast forwarding to where we are today your dad's dementia in the documentary, you know, it says, you know, the first signs of it came in 2013. Who noticed it first? And may I ask, what were the signs? I would think his wife, Lynn, would have been the first one to notice since they live up in New York. And, you know, the rest of the crew all lives down in Florida. Mm-hmm. So we we started noticing it shortly thereafter that time frame. But it went downhill really fast. Um, you know, it went from 
I'm having a little problem walking, having a few falls here and there, not really carrying on a good conversation for any length of time to just, boom, just an awful scenario, as you'll see in the uh, in the show when when they air it tomorrow night. Yeah, I, I, well, actually, by the time this airs, it, it, this podcast, it will already have been seen. Uh, but it is, when I say must-see TV, and uh, listen, obviously, I hadn't seen your dad in recent years. So it was pretty, you know, for lack of a better term, it was pretty jarring to me to see him in the documentary as it opened with that kind of empty look in his eyes. It was almost shocking to me because, listen, he's a Hall of Famer. He's this strapping, tough guy, uh, you know, one success after another. Uh, just really shocking. It really is unbelievable. And um, they do a great job of showing exactly what you're talking about. Is his, his attention span is so limited. And the blank stare just happens within a few minutes of any conversation. Well, so, um, th- th- that's see th- that's what I was wondering because while there were some moments when he was speaking and then we just went blank with his thoughts, there were plenty of powerful thoughts coming from your dad that he had no trouble expressing. But I wonder. Listen, we're watching a documentary that's about you know an hour and fifteen minutes. I was you know there's a lot of editing and stuff going on. Was it very difficult for him because I couldn't believe how. He was pretty coherent for a lot of it and then lost his train of thought. But was it difficult to do the interviews for the documentary for him? I don't think so. Um, I think he really wanted the story to be told, uh, especially to help future football players benefit from the research and maybe not end up in the same condition as he is now. So he really, he really felt like this was an important story to be told. And everything you saw there is accurate. He does have, uh, we walk into the room, mm-hmm. you know, my sister, me, Mark rolls in in his wheelchair and uh, he recognizes everybody. He, he knows my children, but his attention span, it, it, as you saw in, in the documentary, when he shuts down, he shuts down. It is just immediate. And uh, this has been going on for some length of time now. You know, I had my mom passed away a couple of years ago. Let her rest in peace. You know, ninety-two years old. Had a good run at it, but you know, my mom wasn't an NFLer, and and she didn't. She started to have some dementia, but not like your dad. You know, it's listen. She was on the other side of ninety, so you know that happens. But I guess it's almost sounds silly to say, but when you see somebody. It's almost more acceptable, and, and probably it's not fair, uh, more acceptable to some average man or woman. We accept it more than, than, than these an athlete who is a larger-than-life symbol to, to the public. Does that make any sense to you? Oh, of course. Of course. I mean, everybody, when you have an athlete that you're, fond of or you watched growing up or you watch nowadays then you fast forward 20 or 30 years and you see what they're like and you see how frail my dad is he can hardly walk he can't use his hands at all he's in a wheelchair most of the time he can hardly talk i mean there's people that look at their heroes back in the 72 you know when they were playing the dolphins were playing for super bowl after super bowl 
and that big strapping Italian guy, number 85 in the middle, and now look at him. It's it's very hard for people to understand. Yeah, well, for lack of a better term, and then I saw your dad at the premiere with you and your family and, and, and in the chair there, and, and you know, uh, it knocked me right on my ass. <laughs> It's you know I'm an old a- AFL guy. Okay, I-, I remember your dad. Not only do I remember him with the Boston Patriots, I remember him at Notre Dame. Okay, so maybe I'm dating myself a little bit, but so I I know all those things and you know part of the no name defense and and then you see this and it just um, but but as you say you know see that that's why I, why i find it interesting and i'm i'm learning this just now as you say you know it's hard for him to keep his thoughts and what but he did such a marvelous job expressing himself i mean it was heartbreaking but he did a marvelous job expressing himself and what he's going through uh, to the public he really did it was it was i was so proud uh when that documentary was over of what Obviously, the things he's accomplished in his lifetime, um, including his professional career as a football player, then as a CEO, and then as a fundraiser and doing all the work to raise money for the Bonner County Fund and the Miami Project to Cure Paralysis to help all those folks. And then he took it a step further. Now he's helping with CTE, and he wants people to to see the effects it's had on him. So hopefully in the future... You know, some football players down the road don't have to go through what he's doing. He's only 78 years old. I I know that's not spring chicken, but that man cannot walk. He cannot use his hands in any fashion whatsoever. And his communication, as you saw in in the show, is so, so limited. He did get his position out, but it is a limited conversation. That's Well, yeah, I mean, and and as you say, I mean, I'm not saying this to to belittle anybody, but he's um, he's 78. Uh, let, let's put it this way, five, six years ago when he was 72, 73, he probably looked like he was 58, and now he probably looks like he's closer to 98. I guess that's what the disease does. What, what was so ironic, though, when he made the comment, and he, was t- <laughs> he was talking about 1976 or 75, and you know he, he was planning on saying that was it, it was going to be uh, the end of his career. But the Dolphins offered him so much money to come back in 76, $50,000. And when he said uh, on his last game, he kissed the ground, and I'm quoting, I I thank the Lord that I didn't get seriously injured. And, boy, it's come back to haunt him and your family. It it has come back to haunt him. Um, I'm not sure he would trade it all in, though, you know. he had a, as you saw in the in the documentary, it was a very full life with so many unbelievable accomplishments, and that was all due to you know playing football certainly at the beginning before he became an officer at uh, U.S. Tobacco. Well, I I, I think it, it, I'm not blowing smoke up your butt either, but I think the entire family, not not just your dad, because you know uh, I mean his career is. It's, it's remarkable. You know, a kid from Springfield, Mass., you know, who's going to go in the family bakery, and, and he goes on to Notre Dame, and, and he's a co-captain and goes to the AFL. He's part of the no-name defense after he moves to the Dolphins. Uh, he was a sports agent. Uh, 
he goes, was it, 23 years on inside the NFL, uh, the, the head of smoke, smokeless tobacco. Uh, it's just a, a – and I haven't even mentioned a Miami project, what he's done for for your brother. Now, uh, you, you have a sister – um, she's the oldest. You're then came you, and then came your brother Mark. Correct. And and, Correct. and, and Mark, as well, I I guess you should never assume anything. But you know, as most people know, Mark uh, tragically was boy. And I will tell you, when you see the play in the film in 1985, he's playing for the Citadel, and and um, uh, it was East Tennessee State. It didn't look like much of uh, anything, kind of tackle and your brother mark never got up and uh he was paralyzed uh, quadriplegic and and he's he's been there ever since but your dad and you know i shouldn't just say your dad but all of you uh, but obviously your dad was the driving force dedicated his life i mean with the miami project you raised like something like a half a billion dollars am i correct Still going. Still going. Absolutely. Let, let me ask you this. Uh, obviously, your dad can't do it any longer. You know, he can certainly be the inspiration. Who is the driving force now behind the Miami Project? Is it Mark himself? Is it you? Mark, Mark has taken a, a larger role since my dad's decline. So, um, yeah, Mark's president of the Miami Project. He's taking a bigger role and and reaching out. My dad can he still goes to the the big events and the dinners and the Jack Nicholas golf tournament and things like that, but um he doesn't really do much speaking at those events and and Mark's taken a the uh lead role in making sure that the charity flourishes. You know, you you well you were a linebacker, correct me if I'm wrong, at Duke, were, were you not? Correct. How, correct. how many how, how many years did you play? I played four, oh, four so you, years at Duke. You, you played four years at Duke. Um, was there, you know, uh, I was looking up some of the information, but I didn't find anything. Was the thoughts of the NFL, or was that it for you after uh, college? Yeah, no, there was, <laughs> there was, they're not digging five, nine, 200 pound <laughs> linebackers in, in the NFL. So, yeah, yeah, so yeah. as much as, you know, I would have loved to do something like that, that, that was not going to happen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, I stopped playing right after my brother got hurt because well, my, my mom, she couldn't take, you know, me playing a couple more games. Yeah, so. you, you know, we talk about your your dad and how it affected him. And, you know, he, he made a commitment. But when, when listen, I'm sure it's not just your dad. I'm sure all of you uh, when and the documentary goes into it pretty lengthy. You know, when the doctor called and tells your dad your son is going to be a quadriplegic and get here in a hurry, um, he's dying. Uh, when all of you got that call, what the hell was going through your minds? I mean, because obviously your lives were turned upside down in one phone call. When I received the, the information, they were looking for my parents. I was playing at <sighs> Maryland. Duke was playing Maryland, and I was playing there. My brother was playing at Johnson City, Tennessee. And when he got hurt, 
they couldn't find my parents because my parents didn't go to either one of the games. They usually went to like a home game. Right. So since we were both on the road, they decided not to go and they were at a friend's house. So no one could find my parents. And they actually contacted me at the University of Maryland's football facility. And they were saying, oh, your brother got hurt. You need to go talk to this doctor on the phone. And I was like, come on. He's probably just blew out his shoulder or his knee or whatever. I mean, how bad could it be? Not even thinking that it would be paralysis. Just that just doesn't go in your mind when you're, you know, a football, football player. Right. Yeah, I mean that, that's you know that gla- gladiator type mentality. Correct? Right, yeah. right. So I walked around to the press box and got on the phone with this this doctor in Johnson City, Tennessee, and he told me that flat out, Mark's paralyzed from the neck down. Um, he's going to, you know have respiratory issues, he's on a ventilator, um, and you need to get here ASAP. So I tried to reach the folks. This this was before cell phones and everything. Sure. So, um, you know, trying to find them was, it took a while, but we ended up finding them at my uncle's house, and um, everybody flew to Johnson City, Tennessee to be with Mark. Yeah, you know, again, we can talk about Mark forever, but obviously... You know the, the the poor guy was he he was in this is what struck me he was in uh, the hospital I mean it took him something he was on a respirator I think for eight months and took him a year to get home but again you fast forward to today and you, you know other than being a quadriplegic in that wheelchair I mean your brother. It, it's almost as if he's the driving force behind your dad right now. It, it's almost, is that fair enough to say, uh, taking nothing away from you and your sister and the rest of the family, is that is that fair enough to say that it's almost a reversal of fortune, if you will, or unfortunate fortune? Yeah, Mark's always been, um, you know, a driving force with the charity and uh, putting himself out there um, despite his condition, which not a lot of people want to do all the time. And so Mark's always been a driving force in raising funds for the Paralysis Foundation, the Bonner County Fund, and the Miami Project. Um, yeah, he, that's, he, he, he's, that's about it. He certainly seems, and again, listen, I, I can't imagine it shouldn't happen to you, me, anybody else in our families to have to go through what your brother has gone through. But he seems to me, to be doing okay, I guess, as well as okay can be in, in that situation. Is that is that fair to say? I mean, I don't listen. No, no, no that's, that's fair to say. Mark has a bout with uh, some type of infections, usually chest infections, you know, some type of lung issues. Once a year, for sure, he's in and out of the hospital. But for the most part, Mark's been doing great and has already outlived his life expectancy, unfortunately. So... But he's doing fantastic, and um, I think Mark's the only one who doesn't know he's paralyzed. You know, I mean, Mark does everything. Mark Mark still runs the Bonacani Fund and the Miami Project, and is at all the events and travels, and and does wonderful things for everybody who's been struck by paralysis. Yeah, he he, he you know, like he talks about you know. Uh, 
chances are he's not getting out of his chair. Okay, we, we, we all. I think we all. I think the whole family all realizes that. that. Yeah, we, we've already. We know that ship has sailed. But if you've been involved with people who are paralyzed, the fight these. They're always young kids. They're always diving in the pools and driving their cars too fast or falling off of bikes or skiing. And so if you look through the history of those people that are generally getting paralyzed, it's very young, between like the ages of 15 and 30. So that's why I say young people. And, and it's just been a, a remarkable journey to try to help these people. And we, we realize that Mark's not going to benefit from the research that we've been doing for the last 20 20 or 30 years, but someone will. And once uh, someone is cured of this affliction, then it'll all be worthwhile. Yeah, I, I tell you, I'm not, I'm not saying it because, listen, you were there watching the film in the same room as I was in the theater at HBO. And, you know, there was a lot of sniffling going on. And I can I'm not ashamed to say I, I was one of them. At the end there, you know, towards the end, when, when you were talking about it and you said, we want the next guy to be able to get out of the chair. You know, like like you said, Mark should have been dead years ago, but he kept fighting and fighting. And, and you know, the legacy, the legacy for your dad, as I think it was you who said it or Mark said it, um, is not going to be on the field. It'll be what, what he accomplished off the field. That's correct. I mean, his, his ability to take his fame and his positions as a football player and as a CEO of a Fortune 100 company was able to rally the troops to get, as you mentioned, a half a billion dollars in funds over the years to, to really spend the money hiring the best researchers in the world and put them in the best facility they can and giving them all the tools to be successful in curing paralysis. Yeah, you you had the best quote in the entire documentary when when you were told because your dad said he considered himself a Renaissance man, and your quote was, "That's horseshit." He's a street <laughs> fighter from Springfield, Mass. I, I mean, it it was a a sense of levity, but I get where you're coming from. I mean, that's what got him to where he you know, was at the top of his game, let's say. And when I say top of his game, I'm not talking about just football. I'm saying, as you said, CEO, HBO, inside the NFL, with Miami Project, everything. It was that street fighter mentality. And and I still think it exists today, even though it's hard to see it. Uh, He always was tenacious in everything that he did. And you can actually see some of that in the film. But uh, started with football, started with parenting. He, I mean, he was tough on us, not 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 abusive tough, but he was tough. And you know, the, my mom and dad were tough. They wanted us to behave appropriately and do the right things and make the right choices. Well, well, and he did that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, no, no. And I was just going to say he did that with that tenacity and everything he did. Whether it was HBO, you saw him with HBO, and Chris Collinsworth said, you know, I thought. Nick didn't like me. He just doesn't like anybody. <laughs> thought that was really funny. Yeah, no, it was. It, you, you, you just you, you buried my life because I was one of the lines I was going to come out with. So, so good for you. We're on the same page. But you know, your brother Mark spoke about you know the importance that your father wanted to drive home to all of you that you know his three kids. 
uh, Gene and Nick and Mark, you know, about work ethic, about education. And, you know, God bless Mark. Mark also came out with, you know, a story he, he talks about, you know, and that's part of, I guess, like Mark was explaining, like how your dad um, feels guilty to a point or certainly when he got hurt, felt guilty to a point that it's because of football that this did this. And, you know, Mark tells a story. He was playing Pop Warner and he was loafing and your father came down and grabbed him. See, this is a podcast, Nick, so we can talk like this. Your father came <laughs> down. And he says, my dad came down, grabbed me by the face mask and said, you're playing like a fucking pussy. <laughs> that's exactly what he would say. That's exact. No. And, and, you know, people today might hear that. L- listen, um, I got two daughters. I got three little grandsons. You know, people today says, well, can you talk to your kids like that? Yeah. Because you know what? That's how we were brought up. And that, that was part of playing football and part of playing sports. And, you, you know, t- to me, there was nothing wrong with it. But when you look back on it, to be, you know, in dad's position, then to have to look down at your son laying in a bed like that, I, w- I would imagine, uh, you know, call it guilt or whatever, but he went through a, a call it a head trip, if nothing else. Fair to say? I, I would think so. I, I never really had that conversation with my father. I, I don't think I would want to make him feel badly about that. But, I mean, certainly his children, well, meaning my brother and I, uh, I mean, we liked, we loved emulating the Dolphin players, including my dad, you know, playing football and playing in the backyard, for that matter, or playing on Pop Warner and then playing in high school and playing in college. So. I mean, it was kind of built in the the genes, and um, we've always were football players. So I can see where it really probably ate him, or probably still eats him alive about the fact that you know his son was paralyzed, and now since 1985 he's been in a wheelchair because of football. Yeah, you you, uh, tell the story, uh, Nick, if you will. Um, I I thought that was kind of interesting that here you are, you know, your your, your little kids, you know, the dolphins and um, who who you kind of like your dad, obviously, was if not the oldest guy on the team, one of the oldest. And, you know, most of the guys didn't have kids. So you were driving around with all these football players. They were taking you in carts and dune buggies. Am I correct? Oh, they were, yeah, they were, there was, yeah, no one had children, but my dad and like Earl Morrill, you know, and then the coaches, Don Chula and some of the older coaches had, had children. So we were the only ones running around for sure. And, you know, we go to Saturday practices before the games, we'd be kicking field goals with, you know, Gary or Premium and doing things like that. And then all these guys were a little crazy because they were all still in their early 20s. You know, Dick Anderson and Jake Scott would come over in dune buggies and we'd hop in there and my parents would be like, all right, make sure you bring them home alive. Kind of thing, you know? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, listen, you, you just mentioned Earl Marl. Um, you know, Earl recently you know, passed away yeah, and, and yeah. also suffering from dementia. And, um, you, you know, I, I guess I don't know if, it's for sure that it was CTE, but, um, you know, he was suffering from it. And another of your dad's teammates, uh, Jim Kick, is is suffering from it now. He's in a, um, 
uh, a home or assisted living, whatever it is, and he's not doing well. Am I correct? That's my understanding. I've heard yeah. that as well. I, I don't know for sure. Mm. But yeah, it was very. It was a big loss when when uh, Earl passed away. He was. Uh, he always lived close by. He was always willing to come out and support the charity. He always came to our Bonner County Fund golf tournaments and the Miami Project to Cure Paralysis golf tournaments, and was always there to support my dad and the family when uh, this happened with my brother. So it was a, a big loss. You know, Nick, I'm heavily involved with the uh, Muscular Dystrophy Association for years. You know, I hosted, you know, the the New York chapter of the Jerry Lewis Telethon. So I, I and I've dealt with a lot of families and a lot of heartbreak. And what what people don't understand the 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 difficulty of you know going through these things. It it just doesn't affect the person who's the victim of it. But it affects the entire family. It affects, you know, the foundation of the family. It affects marriages. There's a lot of tension. In, in, the, um, in the documentary, it came out, your dad and your mom, Terry, after 35 years divorced, and, you know, he's got a wonderful wife now in Lynn. But I, I was wondering, they didn't go into it too much. You know, your dad devoted his life to... Just everything, you know, Mark and the foundation, uh, the the Miami Project, also his work. Did that that take its toll on, on your your parents' marriage? Oh, I'm certain it did. Yeah, huh? I'm certain it did because he was always gone. Yeah, I mean, he was gone every weekend. Even when they played at home, he was gone every weekend. You know, they would stay in the hotel and they play on Sunday and then they debrief and then when he was. Uh, with U.S. Tobacco, especially when he was the president of the U.S. Tobacco, he was living in Greenwich, Connecticut. My mom was still raising us, even though we were getting in, in through high school at that point. She really didn't want to leave three young kids alone <laughs> yeah. for weeks at a time. No, I don't blame her. And so I think it, it's certainly all of that. And then when my brother got paralyzed and my dad was still had to work, and my mom was there alone in the hospital most of the time and my dad would come home on the weekends and stuff, but there was a lot of time and a lot of stress in the lives that time time period. And I'm sure that ended up being the demise of, of their relationship. Yeah. And then, then, then as fate would have it, you know, he seemed very happy with Lynn and they're looking, you know, to spend the rest of their life together. And now this happens and it, 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 it really is jarring. Uh, you, you were talking about, you know, playing football though, uh, and your dad and in high school. And I found this interesting because I'm, I do giants pregame shows. I'm involved with the giants. I do a calling show for the giants, been involved with them for many years. And there's Mike Shula today, Who's the you know offensive coordinator for the Giants? And there you are in high school, and Mike Shula was the quarterback on your team. Am I correct? Right, right. He was he was a year behind me, so he played uh, with Mark and myself. Okay, and so and I, and I right. love I love you telling a story about not only your dad, but there's your dad and Don Shula sitting in the stands, sending notes down to the to the coach to what he should do in the game. Absolutely. It was so embarrassing. <laughs> I mean, not only that, but those guys, you know, they're sitting up there and they're making all these comments. So the wives didn't want to sit with them. 
So my mom and Mrs. Shula, they she didn't want to sit. They didn't want to sit together with the with the men because they're all griping and moaning about this call or that call or what's going on. And on top of sending notes down to the coaches, which is just I'm just shaking my head. Oh my lord. <laughs> Pretty funny, but how do you not take the advice of Nick Bonacani and Don Shula? Yeah, yeah, no, no disrespect, no disrespect to, to your dad, but how the hell do you not take the advice of Don Shula? You know, that's I, I also found it interesting in the piece that here's Don Shula, and you know, listen, I haven't seen Don for a while. You know, he's eighty nine years old, and you know. <laughs> not getting up there, he's up there, and yeah. and Don was saying, I remember, you know, when he said he he, he looked at your father and said, "Geez, you know, like like he's small," and I'm saying to myself, then I says, "Wait a minute," because I went and looked up, and you know, yeah, your dad was five eleven, what two twenty. Right. Well, Don Shula was 5'11". You know, he wasn't like, a, you know, the Rock of Gibraltar either, but that's kind of the pot calling the kettle black. <laughs> it was the pot calling the kettle black. But everyone was starting to get bigger back then. You know, you remember what it was like. I mean, these guys just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And Don Shula was like, who is, you know, we traded for this run, you know, the run of the litter. Yeah, it ended it, up working out pretty good. Yeah, it, it did. I, 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 you know what? You said something earlier, uh, and and I found that interesting. I, w- I want to get back to it. You, you don't know if your dad, even though he's in the shape he's in, and 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 it, it was gut wrenching when he came out to say, "I'm not the man I used to be." You, you know, when he wanted to let the public know his condition, but you you said you don't know if he would. You know, change any. Obviously, he would change your brother being hurt. Of course, you know he'd give anything for that. You know, it, it's your kid. But football's been very good. It's ironic, but football. You and you've all said it has been very good to the Bonacani family. Right. I mean, it put him on the map. Made him a lot, a lot of money over the years. Even though it's not the kind of money the kids play. You know, getting out. Right. Um, it opened doors for him in the business world and certainly on HBO. And then, of course, it brought the the biggest tragedy. Yeah. Did, well, not only, not only my brother, but now look at the way he's having to end his life with being in a wheelchair and yeah, suffering like this. As he said, you know, uh, he thanked the Lord on his last game that I, I didn't get seriously injured, but... That comment, uh, yeah, w- w- would uh, come back to haunt them. I'm, I'm curious, uh, Nick, do you have kids? I do. Uh, boys, girls? Nick the Fourth and Sophia. Okay. Uh, Nick the Fourth, did you, did you let him play football? I, I didn't deter him. I didn't really encourage it so much. He's pretty tall. He's six five. So I thought he could have made a decent tight end. Where'd that come from? Six five know, in well, your family? I don't know. We're gonna have to do a DNA test. <laughs> I was gonna say. I didn't want to say because I don't think they have milkmen anymore. But you know, that's yeah. what they used to say. Right. Right. Well, you know, I love him too much. I'm not gonna do a, a blood test. But I don't know where that, <laughs> that came from. So he liked basketball, but I thought you know he could, if he really wanted to play football. I'm not sure I I probably wouldn't have encouraged him, but I wouldn't have discouraged him either. I, I think you have to kind of walk your own path and 
if someone's heart's set on playing a sport, then you know how it is. I mean, do you have kids, right? Yes, I do. Well, and, but here's a difference. See, I, I had, I have two married daughters, and they've given me three little grandsons and you know there's four three and 14 months and they're the love of my life and you, you know my daughters my you know my wife reads this stuff about cte and all this and would you want the kids to play football or or hockey this and that it's just, you know i mean it's it's part of life i i, I don't know i you know I, I do believe in certain things i know um was it Harry Carson who's you know was there that night you know the yeah, premiere Harry. and 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 Phil Villapiano who I actually got friendly with because of the MDA because he's done a lot of charitable work they're, they're trying to start something where um, it's flag football at least up until fourteen I think yep. that's a kind of a, a, a interesting idea I do too and I like it and it it makes a lot of sense and don't forget that the equipment has changed for the better over the years with the helmets and and things of that nature. So, you know, it, it really depends on how much your child really desires to play a certain sport. Because if if they have if they have it in their gut that they're going to go do this, and you don't really want to discourage a, I don't like to discourage team sports. I think they're really important. They teach you a lot of things about life. So I like a team sport. I'm glad he picked basketball instead of football. So he played in high school and a couple of years in college, and then. Now he's just working out in California. Well, but, you know, healthy and, and, and you know, th- those are all good things, especially, you know, from a parent's uh, perspective. When um, how is how is your how is your dad's wife doing, Lynn? How is she dealing with this? You know, she, she comes across, you know, very well spoken, but it's got to take a toll on her as well. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, she's dealing with it at the front line, I say. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, my dad lives up in New York with her, and my dad does have full-time nursing care. Um, but Lynn's there in the front lines. We're, you know, I pop up to visit and, you know, stay with him a few days and, and things like that and try to get up for his birthday every year and try to, you know, we well, of course, we were in New York City together just recently for the premiere. Mm-hmm. But she's in it in in it every day, and it's it's a tough it's a tough thing. I always tell her, I go, look, you you cannot do this every single day. You need to carve out time for yourself. Do not feel guilty in one iota. You need to get out. You need to get out of there and 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 spend some time away because this is just a it's really tough to do this twenty four seven. You know what? I commend you. I'm getting choked up just by you saying that because. Too many people don't understand that. And, you know, you hear the term, and, and it's well-meaning, you, you know, martyrs or what, this and that, and then they feel guilty. But you, you're right. You have to carve out, uh, uh, you know, the, like you, there's only so much you can do. It, it, it's, I don't mean to be sound. Somebody might say this. Well, Russ, how the hell can you say that to somebody's son whose dad is suffering? But am I right, Nick? And, and I'm sure you go through your moments, too, for crying. Oh, of course. Listen, I mean, I want got... to spend time with him. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, I work and live in Orlando, and he he's in Long Island right now. And even when he's in Miami, that's still four hours away. So, um, you know, I try to spend as much time as I can. But And there's always guilt. There's certainly guilt, I'm sure, on part of all the family. You know, my 
my brother and sister included, and that we don't get to spend enough time with them. But when you do spend time with them, there's it's the conversations are minimal. Um, you really can't do a lot. It does. It's it's really a, a sad situation yeah, right now yeah, for this great man. Yeah, well, for this great man, and and you know, I, I say this just having met you and just watching the film. A, a terrific family. I, I mean, it's nobody should have to go through that. And uh, where where's where does Mark live now, Nick? He's in Miami. Oh, he's in Miami now. May I ask? Like he's always he's always lived in Miami. He, he's always lived in Miami. Right. Who? who Ever since he got paralyzed, you know, he was playing at the Citadel at the right, time. Right. Now, who does he live with? Well, it's, it's his girlfriend slash wife. We call her wife. They've never been married. Her name is Cynthia. Um, they've been together like 15 years. So God bless. She's fantastic. Yeah, I, I mean, <laughs> she's got to be a saint. And I, I'm not, she is a saint. Yeah, right. She's saint, saint Cynthia. That, that, that's, that, that's terrific. Uh, there was a time because of his insurance, you know how insurance works in crazy ways. Certain right. things can't happen. He, he could not marry her for a certain time. Like, you know what I mean? It would have like dissolved his insurance. And he has fantastic insurance because the insurance that was in place at the time of his injury was that of my dad's when he was the president and CEO of U.S. Tobacco. So right. that's like, you know, the best insurance you can get. Well, when they let because that came out in the piece, and and I guess to show you how how dedicated your dad was, um, he he was a big success with smokeless tobacco, and you know he was the head of the company, and and then the board voted him out. I, I guess because they knew he was torn between his work and the Miami project and your brother. But he, he said one of the agreement, part of the agreement was that. Mark's uh, health would that would not disappear. His his insurance is correct. Correct, and that has and the U.S. Tobacco has always been fantastic with us, and uh, the Bannell family has always been tremendous. Lou passed away some time ago, but um, they've they've they're still involved with the um, with the charity and and um, still on the board. So the Bannells are. Have been going with with us the entire way since 1985. Well, uh, l- listen, Nick, um, I can't thank you enough for being here. Um, I, I thought, having watched the film, uh, the documentary, I, I thought, well, who do I speak? Do I speak with you, or do I speak with Mark? And, and, and I just felt th- there was a sense of I don't know. Uh, you won me over when, when, when you, you came out with that quote when, when I, it was said to you, your dad views himself as a renaissance man. And you said, renaissance man, that's horseshit. I, I just I said, <laughs> this guy's got a sense of humor about a situation that's very, very difficult. And uh, listen, I you always got to keep your sense of humor no matter what you're going through in life. Right. Hey, that's you, a must. Uh, l- let me tell you, you're damn right about that. You know, everybody goes through, everybody's hardships are different, you know, and you don't measure one up against the other. You deal with stuff that's come your way, and you guys are dealing with it. And, Nick, I can't thank you enough for being on. I think you've told the story, and people are going to listen to you, get a feel for it, and I urge everybody to uh, watch uh, The Many Lives of Nick Bonacani. They can get it on demand. And, 
Again, Nick, thank you very much. You and your family wish you much success, much happiness, and God bless uh, your dad. All right. Same to you. Thanks. All right. Thank you. Have a good day. You too. Nick Bonacani Jr., folks. And uh, listen, let me just say this. I'm I'm not going to talk about anything else today because, again, I got... It doesn't mean anything to me. I don't work for HBO, but but I I implore all of you to go watch The Many Lives of Nick Bonacani. I think it's necessary. I I, I think it's important to see what what this guy is going through now, what his family's gone through, and you know it, it's still inspirational. And but like I say, bring plenty uh, bring plenty of. Kleenex tissues because you're going to need it. I mean, if, if this if this doesn't tug at your heart, that just means you don't have a heart. Let me put it to you that way. But having said that, that is now a wrap on uh, this show. I want to thank you all for getting a load of this. Now I like to get a load of you. So uh, listen, you can find me on Twitter. Uh, at uh, Russ Salzberg, you can uh, get a hold of me on Facebook. You can, you know, check my website at russsalzberg.com. Uh, my many thanks to so many people. Uh, most of all, the big guy across the way, Crash Mike Caragliano, who takes good care of me here, running the board. My thanks to uh, Chris Rutsky, head of the OG Podcast Network, to my fine OG Podcast Network producer. Tim Einickel, to uh, 77 WABC program director, Craig Schwab, to tr- his trusty assistant program director, Matt Dahl, and but last but certainly not least, to all of you guys and gals out there, because without all of you people, I'd have nobody here to talk to. So until next time, it is I, Russ Salzberg, saying to all of you, bye-bye, so long, and farewell. Welcome to another round of Boardroom or Miro Board. Today we talk retrospectives with Agile Coach Maria. Let's go. First question. You've spent two hours in a team retro, but the only input you've heard is Dave's. Boardroom or Miro Board? Boardroom. In Miro, Dave can't hog the space because everyone can add thoughts anonymously, online, at the same time. Correct. Next. You need the team to act on feedback fast. So you turn all those retro notes into Jira tasks instantly. Miro all the way. And I can assign those tasks to teammates. You're nailing this. Now, you see hundreds of sticky notes from the retro. A real mess. But you organize them into five themes in just seconds. Miro, I basically get back an entire hour when I use its AI tools for clustering. And she's done it. Join over 60 million people running actually enjoyable and actionable retros in Miro. Get your first three boards free at Miro.com. That's M-I-R-O.com. The living room is where you make life's most beautiful memories. But your sofa shouldn't be the one remembering them. The new life-resistant, high-performance furniture collection from Ashley is designed to withstand all the spills, slip-ups, and muddy paws that come with the best parts of life. Ashley high-performance sofas and recliners are soft, on-trend, and easy to clean. Shop the high-performance furniture in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home.